and welcome to this audio edition of Philip Husher's program notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I'm Rich Caparella. Concerts by the CSO on Thursday, October 27th through Tuesday, the 1st of November, feature guest conductor Xiang Shang and pianist Simon Trepchevsky. The program includes Primal Message by Nukuthula Nanyama, Piano Concerto in A Minor by Edvard Grieg, and After Intermission, Symphony No. 6 by Prokofiev. Here are Philip Pusher's program notes on the Edvard Grieg Piano Concerto, a work lasting about 30 minutes. Grieg was an accomplished pianist. He took his first piano lessons at the age of six from his mother, a gifted amateur, and music was a constant companion in his childhood home where Mozart, Weber, and Chopin were always in favor. In 1858, the celebrated violin virtuoso Ole Boll, a sort of Norse Paganini who charmed everyone from Mark Twain to Georges Sand, heard the 15-year-old play and immediately persuaded his parents to send him to the Leipzig Conservatory. For a young boy from the provinces, born the same year Mendelssohn opened the conservatory, Leipzig was an eye-opening cosmopolitan music center. One of his classmates was Arthur Sullivan, who would later temporarily rival Grieg's own popularity as a composer, and his teacher, E.F. Wenzel, had been a good friend of Robert Schumann. Although Grieg later complained about the strict Germanic training during his five years at the conservatory, the experience broadened his musical outlook considerably. It was also there, under Wenzel's influence, that he developed his lifelong devotion to Schumann's music. One of the highlights of his Leipzig years was hearing Clara Schumann join the Gewandhaus Orchestra in a performance of her late husband's piano concerto. The single concerto that Grieg wrote shortly afterwards at the age of 25, by then newly married and settled in Copenhagen, is a public declaration of his affection for Schumann's score. Grieg not only picks the same key, A minor, but begins with a similar burst of cascading piano chords, a generous, if obvious, tip of the hat. But Grieg's style was already very much his own, and the melodic freshness and harmonic originality of his concerto owe as much to the folk music of Norway as to any German master. The opening piano flourish, for example, walking unevenly down the steps of the A minor scale, descending a minor second and then a major third, is characteristic of Norwegian folk song and recurs often not only in the concerto but throughout Grieg's music. The year after the premiere, given by Grieg's colleague Edmund Neupert in Copenhagen, Grieg accepted an invitation from Franz Liszt and, thanks to a government grant, went to visit him in Rome. Liszt played straight through Grieg's concerto, reading from the composer's manuscript and managing both the solo and orchestral parts with astonishing ease. I'm an experienced old musician and ought to be able to play at sight, he told Grieg. At the very end, when one G-sharp in the big melody unexpectedly switches to G-natural to great effect, Liszt jumped up, singing the transformed tune and shouting, Splendid! That's the real thing! Grieg was ecstatic, but Liszt also suggested that the second theme of the opening movement be reassigned to a solo trumpet. Unfortunate advice that Grieg took to heart, giving it back to the cello only in the final revision of 1906. Grieg was never fully satisfied with this concerto, and for every composer like Liszt or Tchaikovsky who acclaimed it with lavish praise, there were others like Debussy whose criticism provoked him to keep rewriting. 
Keep on, I tell you, List said after playing the whole piece. You have what is needed and don't let anything frighten you. But as it turned out, Grieg's true talent was with musical miniatures. He wrote some 140 songs and many sets of piano pieces. And aside from a few works of chamber music, this concerto was his last work in the large-scale classical forms. An earlier symphony, written at the insistence of Neil Gotham, another friend of Schumann, was played only a few times before Grieg forbade further performances. As with Schumann, Grieg's piano concerto proved to be a singular treasure, a beloved and much-played work without a sequel. Program notes by Philip Huscher on the Grieg A Minor Piano Concerto. And now on to the Prokofiev Symphony No. 6, a work lasting about 43 minutes. Before he had even finished his celebrated fifth symphony, Prokofiev had begun to sketch a new symphony in E-flat minor. But where his fifth symphony had been an uplifting piece written during the Second World War, a hymn to free and happy man, to his mighty powers, his pure and noble spirit, as the composer put it, the Sixth Symphony, completed some two years later, and after Prokofiev suffered from a serious case of writer's block, was perhaps inevitably more nuanced and shadowed, and emotionally more complex. As Prokofiev told the Soviet biographer Israel Nestyev, now we are rejoicing in our great victory, but each of us has wounds which cannot be healed. One man's loved ones have perished, another has lost his health. This must not be forgotten. Prokofiev gave his new symphony the opus number 111, the same as Beethoven's extraordinary last piano sonata, which Prokofiev loved, and he even contemplated dedicating the score to Beethoven. Prokofiev's second symphony, composed more than two decades earlier, had been inspired by the unconventional two-part structure of that sonata. The symphony was performed for the first time in Leningrad in October 1947, and it was received with respect, if not with the outright enthusiasm that had greeted the fifth. When the sixth was repeated that December in Moscow, the audience, according to Pravda, was very appreciative. But Andrei Dzyanov, Stalin's musical authority, had particularly harsh words for Prokofiev, whom he said, still believes in innovation for innovation's sake. He has an artistic snobbishness, a false fear of being commonplace and ordinary. It is curious to observe the struggle of the two Prokofievs in a work like his Sixth Symphony. Here, the melodious, harmonious Prokofiev is often attacked without provocation by the other storming Prokofiev. Several days later, on February 11, 1948, the Central Committee of the Communist Party issued a now-famous declaration condemning the recent works by Prokofiev, along with those by Dmitry Shostakovich, Aram Khachaturian, and others whose names are less well-known to us today, all distinguished by formalist perversions and anti-democratic tendencies alien to the Soviet people and to their aesthetic requirements. Around this same time, Boris Pasternak, a friend of Prokofiev, they were a year apart in age, who was also under intense official pressure, began his own personal response to the political situation in the novel Dr. Zhivago, which Prokofiev would not live to read. 
Suddenly, Prokofiev's recent compositions were being ignored. Sviatoslav Richter, Prokofiev's favorite pianist and the leading interpreter of his piano works, substituted music by Schubert for the announced premiere of Prokofiev's Ninth Piano Sonata. Richter finally gave the first performance more than three years later, in April 1951. Within six months of its premiere, the Sixth Symphony dropped out of the repertory and was not heard again in the Soviet Union for many years. The symphony was first published in New York in 1949. The American premiere was given that November by the New York Philharmonic, and the Chicago Symphony Orchestra played it in January 1951. As Prokofiev sensed, as long as Stalin was alive, the composer would never regain his hold on musical life in his homeland. As it turned out, Prokofiev died less than an hour before Stalin on March 5, 1953. In Israel Nastyev's official Soviet biography of Prokofiev, published in 1957, four years after the composer's death, the Sixth Symphony is still branded as perhaps the most difficult and complex work Prokofiev composed during the Soviet period. Words that do not entirely jibe with the music itself. Prokofiev himself had offered a short, if unrevealing, summary of the symphony's three movement while he was still in the process of orchestrating the last two. The first movement is of an agitated character, at times lyrical, at times austere. The second movement, Largo, is brighter and more songful. The finale, rapid and in a major key, is close in character to my fifth symphony, save for reminiscences of austere passages in the first movement. The first movement is, as Nestyev writes, the most tragic of the three. It is a complex and unpredictably structured paragraph, mixing melancholy pastoral music with grim and strident marches. It begins fortissimo with muted brass and ends pianissimo over an ominous drum roll. And Prokofiev covers wide-ranging territory in between. Even the tempo changes relentlessly in the last pages, switching back and forth between Allegro and Andante. The slow middle movement opens with an outburst that ultimately gives way to a grand, sweeping lyrical music that would not be out of place in Prokofiev's magnificent Romeo and Juliet ballet score. This is overwhelmed by the warlike sounds of fanfares and drum rolls, but the movement ends quietly, if indecisively, with solo oboe and muted trumpet over unsettled chords. The finale is music of optimism, though not without a sense of wounds which cannot be healed. Nestyev called it a rollicking, athletically vigorous vivace. But in the coda, Prokofiev brings us back to the sad, pipe-like melody of the first movement, the ominous image of war's fury, Nestyev's words, and to the grim reminder of reality. The very end sweeps all that aside, but the memory still lingers. Program notes by Philip Husher on the Symphony No. 6 by Prokofiev. I'm Rich Caparella. Thanks for listening. <laughs>